Jesus really is who he says he is. He is this good shepherd. And once we come to that point, that's, that's what it's all about, right? Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for joining us for the 63rd episode of Working with the Word. Today, we are in John 10, a chapter with less action so far as there are no signs recorded like in the previous or upcoming chapters of John, but just as much intensity. We are still in this crisis mode as Jesus keeps slamming the Jews for their blindness to his teachings and claims to be intimately connected to the Father, which only prompts more intense reaction from those who are against Jesus. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to remind you to take a few minutes to observe the chapter again, either by reading it on your own, or you can listen to me read it in episode 61, from the 10-minute, 10-second mark to the 14-minute and 30-second mark. So while we're not looking at any signs today, we are going to start off this chapter with two I am's. Let's begin by looking at our first I am within these first... 10 verses or so. Emerson, what's the first I am statement of Jesus we encounter here? It's the I am statement in verse 7. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And he says it again in verse 9, I am the gate. And so I think when it comes to like the I am statements, this is like the forgotten I am. We typically remember the first couple ones, I'm the bread of life in chapter 8. I'm the light of the world, he says. And then, obviously, in chapter 10, we're going to see I'm the the, sh- the good shepherd. Right. But we kind of forget about this one about being the gate or the door. Yeah. But it's a little bit difficult to try to pull the shepherd and the gate together because they're mixed metaphors. But I think the point that Jesus is making is that he's the entry point into our relationship with God. And, you know, since we're not super familiar with shepherds and the way they operate today in our in our culture. It's helpful to remember that what what Jesus is hitting on here is he's using a metaphor that they would have clearly understood and related to. Mm-hmm. Their, in their day, shepherds would, at the end of the day, they'd bring their sheep to the pen, and they would bring them into the pen, close the gate behind them, and leave kind of a doorkeeper to keep watch over them for the night. And then the shepherd would go, you know, rest and sleep. Well, in the morning, he would come back, and the doorkeeper would see that I recognize this is the shepherd. I'll open up to him. And, you know, the shepherd will take him out and pasture them again. And so Jesus is saying, I'm that gate. I'm, I'm the entry point into this pen of safety. So Jesus is pointing out that uh, he is the path to safety. Mm-hmm. I think it helps us to put this in other terms, maybe compare it with something Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, is Jesus saying the same thing in different words, that, that he is the path, he is the gate, and so we, we enter into a relationship through him. So I think that's, that's the point of him being the gate of the sheep. Yeah, and so like you mentioned, there's this mixed metaphor of him going from talking about being the door or the gate, depending on your translation. Mostly one of those two words will probably be used. To him then talking about there in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So as opposed to those he's talked about in the previous paragraph, the thieves, the robbers, uh, as opposed to here in this section, the uncaring hired hands, 
that you've read about, as opposed to the bad shepherds who came before him. There's this reference in the previous section, in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Some see that as maybe some who came as false messiahs, you know, claiming to be this messiah that people were looking for according to the, the Jewish text, but you know, they weren't actually fulfilling it the way Jesus was. So opposed to all of those people, Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, he is the one who truly loves and cares for his sheep. Now, before we get too far even more into this little section and this metaphor that Jesus uses to describe himself like that, there's major Ezekiel 34 vibes here. This idea of God is, through the prophet Ezekiel, criticizing the leaders of Judah and Israel. He's mostly Judah at that point, since Israel's already in captivity. And while part of Judah's already in captivity, too, that's where Ezekiel mm-hmm. is. And criticizing them for their terrible leadership, really calling them... And using this illustration as shepherds. I mean, by the time we get to this, you know, this isn't just something that Jesus is pulling on a common everyday metaphor that was just in the New Testament or just in his lifetime. This was a metaphor that God's been using for a long time. And even other than explicitly saying that, we see the examples of people who are shepherds or had the experience of working as shepherds then becoming important people in the history of Israel. People like Moses, people like David all come to be these people who are going to be leaders of Israel. And so you could see them as maybe a, a type, you know, sometimes we use those words, a type of a good shepherd, or even comparing that with the bad shepherds, like we mentioned in Ezekiel 34, of the kings, of the prophets, the priests that are all talked about in there. I think Ezekiel 34 also talks about there being a good shepherd that's going to come, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, talking about the bad shepherds and how terrible they were and abusing and taking advantage of the flock. But he also prophesies of, of a good shepherd. And so when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, <laughs> I think anybody that would have known, you know, about Ezekiel's prophecy, ding, 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 should have been a, a bell going off in their mind. Hey, Jesus is claiming to be this, this one that was prophesied. Exactly. That's right. And so this is a, a term that they would have been expecting or even maybe a title that they've been looking for for someone. And then even moving forward, you know, beyond the life of Jesus, this is a term that continues to get used. It continues mm-hmm. to be used in the New Testament and is even used today when we think about those who serve as elders in their local congregations, in their local churches. We see Jesus talking about these people as shepherds, or maybe we see people like Peter talking about that, like in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through verse 4. All that to say, the shepherd idea of someone who is going to watch over a flock, someone who cares for them, protects them, who provides for them and loves them, that's not an unknown metaphor, not just in you know this culture, but it's something that we at least need to have a grasp on as we consider the topic today. So when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, you know, what is he saying about himself. He's someone who cares for his sheep, and we see that because of the relationship he has with them. You know, throughout this section, he's going to talk about his sheep and how they're his sheep and how they know Mm -hmm. his voice and how he knows them and how he calls them by name. You know, sometimes we may joke about that. You know, there's Bob and Larry and Greg. You know, you pick out all these you know, names from today for sheep. You know, this idea that Jesus could do something like that, that Jesus could say, there's Emerson and there's Jeff. You know, Jeff's kind of got the freckles on his face. And so that's how I know that's, that sheep is Jeff. All that to say that there's a closest, there's a relationship there that Jesus is emphasizing and bringing out. He also goes on to say in this section, as he's talking about him being the good shepherd, how the good shepherd is willing to 
And even here, I think Jesus is, in a sense, confirming that he will lay down his mm-hmm. life for his sheep. As we look at verse 17 and verse 18, this is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. A little bit of foreshadowing here, I think, to what we're going to see happen to Jesus when he, in John chapter 18, is arrested, when he goes to the cross. This isn't some like, oh no, like surprise (laughs) attack by the Jews here, but Jesus expects this, and Jesus is willing Mm -hmm. to confirm and go all the way as the good shepherd by even choosing, not just being willing. It's one thing to have a good intention, but it's another thing to see him actually do that for his sheep. And we see, again, the connection to the fact that his sheep listen to his voice, they follow their good shepherd. And so there's all all this idea about this shepherd relationship here that Jesus is connected to his sheep. But it's not just like one group of sheep or one pen that Jesus cares about. He also mentions in this text in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. I want to just plant that for now keep that in your mind. We'll come back to that at the end of this chapter. But those are some thoughts, again, as our audience is reading John chapter 10. Maybe you're familiar with some of these I am statements. This idea here, you know, very similar of Jesus being the door and Jesus being the good shepherd of all of this and how he cares for his people. So then we're transitioning in verse 19. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of more things to be said as the scene does shift there. And what's going on now? Yeah, so it, I think starting there, beginning in verse 19, we start to see like the negative reaction to what Jesus has said. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we first noticed when you and I were talking about this chapter is that there's no break between chapters 9 and 10. Like if you look at verse 1, it's it's a continuation of Jesus's conversation right. with the Pharisees at the end of chapter 9. And so you know, starting here in 19, you see kind of the divide in the crowd. And it's helpful to see chapter 10 as an explanation of what happened in chapter 9. Not to go back too far into the past, but but in chapter 9, you know, when Jesus heals the blind man, and the blind man is basically held on trial for he's done nothing wrong, Jesus has done nothing wrong, even though he did this on the Sabbath day. You're kind of left feeling like, well, why are the Pharisees being so blind? And why are they hating Jesus and this blind man so much? Well, Jesus goes on to say, because you're blind. Well, in chapter 10, there's an explanation of, well, you're not listening because you're not willing to hear me. You're not one of my sheep. And so that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes. So some people are saying, well, Jesus is just crazy. (laughs) He's calling himself a shepherd who's going to die for his sheep. And and then in verse 21, others are like, well, how can a crazy person open the eyes of a blind person? So there's a a strong connection there. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, uh, as he's walking in the temple in verse 23, but the Jews surround him and ask him this really interesting question. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Which on the surface sounds like a good point, like like if, if you really want to be the Christ, why don't you just let it out and just speak it plainly? But there's something wrong behind the question, right? Yeah. What do you think is motivating their question? I think it's some way to try to trap him or to 
looking for ways to twist his words. I mean, this isn't the first time they've tried to do something like that with Jesus. And as Jesus is going to say, you know, I've given you plenty of opportunity to right. see who I am and to to know that I am the Messiah. Maybe again, thinking about, well, we don't have a whole lot of information about some of these false messiahs that have come even before Jesus. People who, you know, were they trying to claim the same things about, you know, I'm connected to the Father God and I'm the one who's the prophet or the good shepherd or all of this stuff. And if they were, I mean, were they doing the kinds of things that Jesus was? And so it, it does seem kind of just silly that they would come to him and say, tell us plainly, you know, are you mm-hmm. the Messiah or not? And you would think, you know, from one perspective, the one way that we talked about, if, if Jesus was potentially like us, and thank goodness he's not, you know, he could be real <laughs> petty here, and he could be like, I am the Messiah, and he could use his, you know, his powers to embarrass, you know, he could, you know, pull their cloaks over their head, we kind of talked about, you know, kind of exposing their undergarments, like, you know, a bully in a movie or something like that, trying mm-hmm. to prove a point. That's not who Jesus is. He's not going to re- behave or act like that. And even when they ask him and say, tell us plainly, he says so, but again, Jesus saying things Jesus' way, he doesn't mm-hmm. say so. In verse 25, I did tell you, and you don't believe. So what is it that he's telling them? How is it that he's telling them who he is? He's he's trying to reiterate what he's already said, that you know, if, if you haven't believed up to this point, nothing, nothing else I can say is going to convince you, right? Mm-hmm. They've kind of made up their minds already. And, you know, if, if they really wanted a clear sign of who Jesus was, all they would have to do is just rewind back to chapter nine. <laughs> I mean, how, how much of a clearer sign can you get? And there is, you know, there's a lot of truth in the fact that Jesus did not just come right out and say, I'm the son of God. Here I am. You know, Jesus didn't approach it that way. But what he did was he gave very clear evidence to lead to that proper conclusion for the people that really wanted it. And so what Jesus says in verse 26 is, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. Basically, they've chosen to not recognize Jesus as the good shepherd. And Jesus isn't going to be able to like twist their arms or force them into accepting him. They've got to choose that. Verse 27 my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. We'll come back to this idea of, of assurance in, in, at the end in just a few minutes, but what Jesus is talking about there is the fact that, look, the, the people who are my sheep, they have comfort, and they have assurance. And I think in our circles, this verse sometimes isn't used in the right way. You know, a lot of times it's misused to say that once you're saved, you're always saved. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's what Jesus is saying because Jesus is using this as kind of a conditional thing that if you're my sheep, you're going to follow me. Mm -hmm. And that's what defines the sheep. But if we just talk about what it doesn't mean, then we're kind of missing the whole point of what it does mean, right? Right. And so Jesus is talking about the assurance, the confidence that we have as long as you follow him, you're safe. Mm-hmm. And that isn't a kind of like, you got to save yourself. It's all dependent upon your works and your perfection. That's not it at all. Following Jesus doesn't mean perfection. It means trusting him. It means listening to his voice constantly. When you fail, you pick up, you go on, you, you continue to follow him. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you want confidence and assurance, you got to come to me. 
and he's offering this to them, but showing them, look, if if you're not going to follow me, then, hey, there's a lot of wolves out there that will can, can eat you alive. That's right. <laughs> and so at that point, in verse 31, I mean, they're ready to pick up rocks and stone him again. And we've seen that already uh, in John, right? Yeah, in John chapter 8, verse 59, when we kind of concluded right before our Final Four series, we left kind of on that quote-unquote cliffhanger what's going to happen to Jesus. You know, there's this mm-hmm. great tension there. And so they've already tried stuff like this. They've tried seizing Jesus. They've tried stoning him. And so Jesus, he doesn't tell them plainly. Rather, he's doing these things and saying things in Jesus' ways, trying to get them to examine themselves. I mean, they're ready to stone him for blasphemy. And that's what they say. And that would be the true response. Should that be what Jesus was actually doing if he yeah. truly was blaspheming? I think the law talks about that. If someone tries to get you to follow other gods which Jesus is claiming to be God, Mm -hmm. then that would be the appropriate response, yeah. That's right. But here in this section, as they're trying to stone him, and he asks, you know, which of the works is it you're trying to stone me? And they say, it's because you're blasphemy. He takes a moment and he quotes from Psalm 82, uh, a psalm that's talking about kind of the unjust judges that have been going on and how they need to, I guess in a sense, change and there needs to be found true justice for those unjust judges. Jesus says in verse 34, Isn't it written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said, I am the Son of God? So to kind of unpack what Jesus is just doing there with all of that, Jesus is making a point, if men who are flawed, as these unjust judges are that are really talked about for the previous verses of Psalm 82 before verse 6, so when in that psalm they are called gods, you know, being people who are supposed to be like God and, and serving like him, you know, judges would be expected to have the wisdom and, and righteousness and would not take favors like God would. God does mm-hmm. not take bribes. God does not deal out injustice. He's always true and wise and, and right in his judgments that he makes. So how much more appropriate is this term of someone being referred to as God or as God's than the Son of God. And in fact, here he does plainly say, I am the Son of God. And so again, he's going back to the point of which of my works is that you're stoning me for? And they can't really seem to give a good answer to that other than just this mom mentality of, get them boys, they're trying to run after them. (laughs) And in verse 39, you see, he eluded their grasp. That kind of is looking back a little bit to some things he says He's going to lay down his life, but it's going to be of his own accord and his own doing. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be them taking him by surprise or by force in a way that's completely unexpected. And there's more I want to say about that, but just think about, you know, what's going to happen in chapter 18 of John. Is that a, we've taken him by force and we've seized him, or is that more of some things we've found about they're waiting until his hour comes? His hour is not yet here. We've seen over and over and over again. But when his hour does come, the shepherd will definitely lay down his life of his own accord to do the Father's will and work. So there's a lot of negative response to Jesus here Mm -hmm. within this chapter, within those particular verses from 19 through 39. But as we see, and as we mentioned earlier in verse 16, Jesus talks about these other sheep. And I think we get a glimpse at some of those other sheep outside of the pen here at the conclusion of this chapter. Yeah, so the chapter ends on a much more positive note, beginning in verse 40. It says, So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, 
and he remained there. And many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So I think we need to kind of put in our minds the the geography here of, okay, across the Jordan would be, you know, from the reference point where Jerusalem is the west of the Jordan, that's kind of where the majority of the Jewish nation centers there. Mm-hmm. But across the Jordan would be the east side. And it's not a, like, strictly Gentile area, but there's a lot of Gentiles over there. Right. And, and so Jesus is, like you said earlier in verse 16, Jesus is reaching out to those other sheep that are the Gentiles who are, he's trying to call to himself. And I think this kind of maybe foreshadows in a small way how the gospel is going to spread in the book of Acts. Like the Apostle Paul, as he goes preaching on his journeys, he's going to first go to the, the Jews in the synagogue as his custom. But when they reject, then he, he immediately turns to the Gentiles. And that, that's kind of what you see in the pattern here. And some of the other gospels fill in some of the details about Jesus's ministry across the Jordan. But I think you just just think about how Jesus is trying to call people to be his sheep, and he's the good shepherd, and the shepherd needs sheep. So he's he's looking to the Gentiles here. And what's interesting about their response is they're a lot more open-minded than Jesus's own people are. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that you you find in the book of John emphasized is that open-mindedness is a key component of faith. You know, these Pharisees, their eyes are closed, their minds are closed, their hearts are closed, and they're not even willing to consider Jesus, give him the time of day. But yet these people um, are, are at least willing to reason through and consider what Jesus is bringing to them. So when you're using the term open-mindedness, just so we all understand, what are we meaning by that? Is it just, you know, we'll just accept any truth or any thought religiously? What do we mean when we talk about an open-mindedness with Jesus when it comes to the teachings of Scripture? Yeah, I think open-mindedness there is not, you know, just truth is, is all relative. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. Somebody once said, and maybe I'm not quoting this right, but it's it's important that we have an open mind, but not so open that our brains fall out, right? <laughs> right. Open-mindedness is the willingness to consider the evidence and have a reasonable spirit. And a reasonable spirit and an open-mindedness demands that we reject some things, but also that we accept some things as true. Mm-hmm. The things that have evidence, the things that can be verified, those are the things that are true. And so we've got to have a standard. So open-mindedness demands that we accept what, what a good standard would be. And so, yeah, open-mindedness is not just believe everything, but look at everything carefully with a scrutiny. And once you find truth, be willing to accept that because you can find evidence to to back it up. So not meaning to keep us too far down this rabbit hole where you need to get back into John 10 in a second, but that's kind of what part of some of the things we've said very early on in this podcast, some of our early episodes were the idea of we look at scripture and even if we've looked at scripture for years and even it's quote-unquote, our job to look at Scripture and then tell other people about it. Or, you know, if we've, you know, been raised in a church or if we you know known Scripture for a long time, we always need to approach it with an open mind. And even with people who may believe different things about Scripture, we need to approach that with open mind to see 
the evidence and to find what is the true evidence to not come with our preconceived ideas. Because a lot of times the word gets thrown around today, and I think appropriately, that sometimes we become more like the Pharisees. Even though we may feel like that we have truth, we just are closed ourselves off and would never consider any other option or any other thought about anything else because for 10 years between when I was 15 and 25, somebody really drilled into me lots of true and great and good Bible facts and foundations. And so I'm good. I never have to really mm-hmm. learn anything. I can just live off of that for the rest of my life. That's not really how the Lord wants us to treat his son and to treat his word. And so, mm-hmm. again, that's kind of going back into kind of bigger picture of some things we've talked about on this program before, but hopefully a, a nice little reminder about what we're looking to do, even as we're all studying and looking at John and trying to grow together. So Yeah, and I think what you said there at the end, growth, that's that's the key to all of this. Because as soon as we say, I've I've got it all figured out, I've got no room to grow or anything like that, that's that's the moment when our minds are closed. Mm-hmm. And maybe a a different word, a synonym for open mindedness here would just be the fact that being reasonable. I mean, yeah. I think these people's reasonableness comes out in verse 41. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign. So John had already done a lot of preaching and teaching over there. And so they're kind of giving that as a point of reference to what they're hearing from Jesus. Everything John said about this man was true. So they're willing to at least build off the foundation they had, use John's teaching as a standard, and see, okay, yeah, what John said about Jesus was true. And so that takes us back to in chapter 5 of John, where Jesus himself says, look at the testimony and look at the witnesses. John was one of them. Right. His works, his signs were another one of them, the Father, the Scriptures, Moses. Mm-hmm. And so all of these witnesses kind of testified to who Jesus is. And another thing that Jesus points out in this chapter, going back to verse 37, Jesus says, if I am not doing my Father's work, don't believe me. <laughs> which to me is one of the most remarkable things that Jesus ever says. Yeah. Because Jesus basically is saying, if, if I don't have the, the backing behind what I'm saying, you're not held accountable to believe me. And so he gives them kind of, he gives them the, the ammunition to prove him wrong, but they can't do it. Right. And so Jesus is really just trying to emphasize that faith is built upon the the signs that Jesus has done that lead to the reasonable conclusion, hey, Jesus really is who he says he is. He is this good shepherd. Mm-hmm. And once we come to that point, that's that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Verse 42, many believed in him there. Not just in a kind of reasonable, okay, yeah, I can see this is true, but belief is a an obedient thing where if, if it's true, we're going to seek him, we're going to obey him. And so that kind of leads us to what the rest of the book does is kind of emphasize that again. And John's whole purpose is so that we can come to that conclusion ourselves and have life in his name. Right. There's a great contrast here just within one of our key words of John, believe. You see Mm -hmm. these people across the Jordan, these Gentiles are believing in Jesus as opposed to those in verse 27 through verse 29 do not believe. In Jesus, or I guess really there in verse 25, you don't believe, and in other places Jesus says that. 
And so our so what is for all of us to see Jesus as the door or the gatekeeper or the good shepherd and to understand, number one, if we are his sheep, that first he gives us eternal life, and two, as long as we follow and listen to him, understand that we have nothing to fear. And as you're pointing out, we truly believe, as opposed to those blind Jews that were talked about in the earlier part of the chapter, then the sheep who sound like those who believe, or these people who believe in Jesus, sound like those who would really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and find that eternal life in him. So that brings us to our weekly challenge, and we want to focus on verses 27 and 28. We said we would come back to this idea of confidence or assurance. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. They will never perish, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Through this whole chapter, Psalm 23 kept coming to mind where David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Mm -hmm. And if we, if we take that same concept and, and apply it to Jesus, Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the rest of the psalm is about the assurance and the confidence and comfort we have in the Lord. All of that is true about Jesus. And so we want to ask you, first of all, are you following the shepherd? And if you are, then what comfort does that bring to you? What Jesus' promise here that that no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Does, what does it mean to be a sheep in Jesus' care? I think about Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm-hmm. Do you know that confidence? And if you don't, we challenge you to seek that confidence and build that confidence off of Jesus being your good shepherd. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. We'll continue our inductive study of John in our next episode with John 11, which is quite the emotional roller coaster, and more importantly, the last of Jesus' signs that John records. We hope you will continue to follow along with us in John's gospel, and we'll continue to grow in our faith together. Until then, if there are questions, topics, or books of the Bible, or difficult passages you would like for us to cover in future episodes of Working with the Word, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.